now recording. Good to see you again, Craig, you fuck. Craig is such a bitch. Yeah, I really hate Craig, man. Like, he thinks he's better than me. I can hear it in his fucking tone. You know, it, it, it's really the elitism that bothers me. Oh, don't worry, we're going to bring Craig down a notch. One day. One day. For those of you who don't know, Craig is our recording bot in uh, Discord. We're healthy and very not psychotic. Yes, you heard him say very, very means truly, truly, very, always. But Craig is a bitch, and uh, he says he's, you know, he wants to be our robotic overlord, and I'm going to have it. Welcome to the Making It All Weird podcast with Matt and Dave. I'm Dave. I'm here. Well, not here physically, but spiritually. Spiritually, yeah. Spiritually and in all other ways that matter with me, Matt. Matt, what's been going on in your life? Well, shit, like not a lot. I've gotten into smoking a pipe. You know, that's cool. Bought three different types of whiskey recently. So like three new new brands to try. That's exciting, right? Very cool. I've been working on school stuff, my teaching credential. I've also been reading a bit of philosophy. Glad one of us isn't a piece of shit. Oh, I'm definitely a piece of shit, though. But, you know, you're a little more, uh, a little more wholesome than this piece of shit. You got some peanuts in there or something. But I like being a piece of shit. Do what you love. Whatever they say. Do what you know. Yeah. I know shit. All right, anyways, enough about how bad we are. <laughs> so what's up for this week? As I mentioned, I wanted to talk about what I'm reading, Hegel's Science of Logic. Mm, that's right. You were talking about that, too, Leah. I sent Matt six pages of handwritten notes to prepare him. It was very thoughtful of you, and I totally have them right here. Because I read them, but I just want them here, you know what I'm saying? Just because I forget. Matt, explain Hegelian dialectics to me. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so uh, about that. Uh, so essentially, like with Hegelian dialectics, man, memory. <laughs> that's always, that's a thing. That's a thing I have, I promise, guys. You have like two polar kind of viewpoints, right? And if I, if I remember right the gist of it, is that the distinctions that like make them what they are right is the contradictions you find within them that and uh, not the external trappings or some shit right um you got the gist of my notes which is great some of it yeah some of it more than you know i give more other people so <laughs> You got that going for you, buddy. And the reason why I think that's important to phrase it in terms of contradictions is there's this idea about Hegel that you see if you, like me, believe in crazy things. Bush did 9-11. Yeah, right. (laughs) I don't actually believe that. (laughs) But if you spend any time on YouTube, you'll come across videos about Illuminati and the Bilderberg Group and all this conspiracy theory stuff. The truth is out there, goddammit. QAnon and all that. (laughs) 
they have this idea of what Hegelian dialectics are. They say that it's thesis plus antithesis equals synthesis, and that is not Hegelian dialectics. In fact, Hegelian dialectics aren't even Hegel's method. Yeah, you were mentioning that. You have to understand what Hegel was responding to, which was Immanuel Kant's critique of pure reason. I'm going to switch back and forth. I'm going to call him Kant or Kant. The actual pronunciation is closer to Kant. Well, I always thought it was closer to Kant, but hey. Yeah, in German, it's closer to, it's actually closer to Kant. Right. Yeah, in 1781, he published the Critique of Pure Reason, which established limits on what we're able to know about external objects. He was able, through his transcendental logic, to develop a number of categories which basically determine the limit of our experience. They are necessary features of our experience of the world, meaning we wouldn't be able to have experience of something without them. Having the experience of the opposite. Uh, no, no, no. Right now I'm talking about cunt. <laughs> oh, cunt. Yeah, right, cunt. My bad, dog. I'm getting ahead of myself here. His philosophy was known as transcendental idealism. And what that means is that the external world can only be conceived of in terms of phenomena, not things in themselves. We can know objects as they appear to us, as they come in through our consciousness and we view them. I'm not necessarily talking about physical objects. These can also be memories, images in your head, any sensation that you perceive as outside of yourself. We can know them as they appear to us through the lens of consciousness, as built by these categories of quantity, quality, relation, and modality. And without those categories, it is completely impossible to even think of an object like existence. Yeah. That's a type of modality, right? Right. You can't say that something outside of your perception even exists. So you yeah. can't even posit that there's a that there's like a thing in itself that gives you an experience. Right. All you can say is we can know objects only in their appearances to us. Yes. And so when we do science, uh, we can do science. We can apply these categories with the caveat. Yeah that we can't know, like we're not getting information about things in themselves, we're getting knowledge about things as they appear to us. Right. And so this thing in itself, you can kind of think of as like the metaphysical explanation for objects. Right. So right now I have a can of Modelo in front of me, Modelo Especial, and yeah. I'm looking at my can and it appears before me through the lens of my consciousness. Right, right. But if I posit that there's like a metaphysical world beyond my perception and experience that generates that in my consciousness, mm -hmm. thinking of like God being like a metaphysical backing to this object. Yeah. Or even thinking about this object in terms of like a causal phenomenon in a chain of cause and effect that goes beyond my experience. Mm. I'm not allowed to do that. Well, yeah. So that poses a limit, and it actually ended metaphysics. So that's what metaphysics was all about, is finding these like rational explanations for phenomena, yeah. for things that we experience, and granting them causation that exists beyond experience. Right, because that was basically what the point was, right? Just, hey, how the hell do we know something we cannot... Uh, thinking about how to think of things... After Kant basically destroyed metaphysics, he was called the Great Destroyer. It's a little harsh. 
And he was the first in the school of, quote, German idealism. When we say idealism, a lot of people think optimistic and ideal, right? It has nothing to do with that. Yeah. A British empiricist or Scottish empiricist named George Berkeley posited that there is no outside world, that everything is just ideas. Right. German idealism doesn't posit that. It's a little bit different. It's just the idea that an object isn't intelligible in the first place without an idea. So this can of Modelo right here is an idea. If I didn't have the idea of a can of Modelo in my head, I wouldn't be able to perceive the object in the first place. Okay. Yeah. It's less like radical ideal, like nothing is material or anything else. It's just that it's recognizing this Kantian thing where we can't necessarily even perceive objects unless we have an idea of what that object is. When it comes to talking about objects as material, as Kant said, we can't do that because we can't know of an object outside of our ability to experience that object. After Kant, you have Fichte and Schelling. And then we come to Hegel, who's kind of the one with the most lasting influence, probably. Although, you know, Fichte and Schelling are both important as well. But both of them basically developed these Kantian ideas to the point where Hegel could kind of take them and run with them. So Hegel's idea is precisely this, that Kant says we can't know what things are in themselves. Hegel says, well, then we're actually not getting any knowledge of anything, right? Because when we do science, we're trying to figure out something about a thing in itself. We want to have, like, positive knowledge about an object. Knowledge, yeah. To him, there was a way to do this, and that was through his method. To somebody who's uninitiated and you hear about Hegel's method, it's very easy from a like an analytical philosophy like British in America to say, like, oh, that sounds unempirical. Like, how would you even prove that? It's unfalsifiable or something like that. Right. But he wasn't thinking of this in, in, in these terms. And in fact, the way that he's thinking, if you start to analyze your own perception in terms of this, perception, emotions, like all of your mental faculties and the way that you constitute objects, it's actually hard to deny a lot of what he was talking about. And so that precisely is this, that when we try to know a thing in itself, we kind of reach out and we get this false idea of it. Like, you know, just like with metaphysics, like we touch the thing in in, in itself with our consciousness, just the outer surface of it, and we develop all of these ideas about what generates it outside of our experience. But then we can never experience that, so it kind of shoots us back in the other direction. Right. We realize that, oh, no, we can't have any positive knowledge of objects, right? We can only have this negative knowledge of what this stuff is. Which is actually what Kant said. We can know that there's something out there generating phenomena, but we can't have any positive knowledge about it. We can only know it negatively. And negatively not meaning it's bad, but meaning that we can just say that it exists. It's there generating something, but we can't fill that with all these images in our head of like an outside world, an other dimension or something like that. It's just a loose concept. No, yeah, gotcha. What I just explained was a dialectic. If you do that, you're going to go back and forth multiple times, and there's no way out, right? You can't have any positive knowledge about that. So that doesn't actually really give us any knowledge about it. So then we're limited back to knowing only appearances. But if we know only appearances, then we don't have any real knowledge about anything. So we have to reach out and try and grasp something about the thing in itself. And and it's just going to shoot us back and forth with no progress, right? It's taking a step out of that, outside of this, and like looking down and saying, oh, 
we do have this dialectic. We do try this. Like, we can't even help it to try and gain this, like, positive knowledge about an object. So instead of going back and forth to no avail, we're going to actually come, like, up and take a bird's eye view and say, oh, okay, so the truth of that isn't that we can't have any positive knowledge, but the truth of that is that it's a system, that we're bouncing back and forth between these two poles. Right. It's true. We can't have positive knowledge about the thing in itself. And at the same time, that isn't knowledge. But the point of that, the overall point that we get is that we can't help but do that. We can't help but bounce back and forth trying to make these determinations of something that is indeterminate. When we come up and we see that that's the case, then we see us bouncing back and forth between these contradictions and we take that to be our new starting point. That, okay, so this is how consciousness behaves, is trying to move back and forth and, and make determinations where it can't make determinations. Mm-hmm. And then use that as the new, okay, well, if we know that, what would be the negative of that? Proceeding from there until we get to a point which he would call absolutely unconditioned, which would be a knowledge of a thing in itself. Ultimately, for Hegel, that thing in itself that we can't know is not a thing, but it's a process. Right. It's this generative process. The way that he phrased it was that the child is the man in itself. The acorn is the tree in itself. Right. We can't penetrate our consciousness into the acorn and see the acorn tree, right? Yeah. But if we go back and forth enough, we do see that every second of the acorn that we're determining is a step along the way until its ultimate realization in the mature tree. That's Hegel's method, is realizing that there's a dialectic coming out of the dialectic and then taking that dialectic as the new new starting point in a pole until we're able to reach some sort of unconditioned. And the unconditioned for Hegel is seeing this entire process, is seeing that when we're reaching out towards objects as things in themselves— what we're trying to get to know is actually ourselves. We're not trying to get to know yeah. our object. This morning, I was, I was talking to you, and I, and I said, like, okay, I have an image. I'm hungry, so I have an image in my head of, like, butter and toast. Yeah, some breakfast. There. Yeah, some breakfast. And I currently don't have that breakfast, so I see a contradiction. Like, right. you know, image in my head, but no breakfast in front of me. <laughs> so yeah, that's the fuck. So that's going to drive me to go make breakfast for myself right. and then fill right. that perceived lack that I have in myself with that yeah. breakfast, at which point I won't want it anymore. And at, at yeah. that point, like something else will pop in my head that I want to do. And right. that represents some sort of lack that I need to fill in. The Hegelian is saying, oh, OK, so this is actually our processes, the, what drives our behavior. Just these contradictions. Is this contradiction? And so that reaching out, Mm. right, is our physical behavior. Yes. To remedy the contradiction. There's another way that we can think about it. Okay. Imagine if I had a box and I lock this box up and I tell you, you can't ever know what's inside of this box. Right. And, you know, you can't, you can't open, there's no way, like, you could blast it with 100 tons of dynamite, just for sake of example, you would never be able to open the box. So, to Kant, this is the, what's in the box would be the thing in itself. The thing that's hidden by an appearance. Yeah. You're looking at this thing, and 
Kant is essentially going to tell you that you can't know anything except the external structure of the box, right? Now, right. if you put like a large object in there, right, maybe the box will like like puff take out, its shape, yeah. take take its shape. You can know that, right? You could know like like the shape that the box takes, right? But you can't know whatever positively what's, what's in, in the box. Yeah. So Hegel's first idea about this would be to say, okay, well, I can't know what's in the box. I can either go back and forth a hundred times trying, oh, what's in the box? I can't know what's in the box, but I want to know what's in the box. I can't know what's right. in the box. That's your dialectic there. Yeah. And then the Hegelian turn in the dialectic is stepping outside of that situation and saying, well, hold on a sec. Whatever is in the box, you do know. You do have positive knowledge of what's in the box. It's just that that positive knowledge has a negative component to it. And that is that what's in the box is something that you don't know. It's, it's a negative right. object. Right? Yes. Now you have this positive knowledge with this negative aspect to it. And that actually is driving this whole process of reaching out and trying to figure out what's in the box in the first place. Yeah. It's almost as though the not knowing is like intolerable. You have to know that. You have to correct that. That fucking, uh, excuse me, I'm a little bit drunk. <laughs> you have to okay, I'm, that. I'm, I'm drinking too. Oh, uh, hey, there we go. Yeah, you have to you have to correct that uh, contradiction in your mind, which is the thing that you have no concept of. From Hegel's perspective, then, when we step outside that, and we see that well, you do have that drives. You do have this positive knowledge. Right. What that positive knowledge is, though, there was a, a psychoanalyst and philosopher from the mid twentieth century. He would call it the object cause of desire, and he mm. was taking after Freud, basically. What that is doing is actually serving as a new pole. At this point, your positive knowledge isn't anything of what's in the box. Your positive knowledge is yourself. When you know that there's a thing that you don't know, you have this like positive, negative conception of an yeah. object. Now you know something about yourself that I do this. I, I seek outside of myself for answers, mm -hmm. right? And this is how our minds and consciousnesses work is we're always trying to fill some perceived lack with positive content and reaching out to something that is currently beyond our experience, true knowledge of how, say, consciousness works. Right. You're never going to be able to open the box and see what's inside. You're disallowed from doing that. But yeah. at this point, who really cares what's inside the box, right? Mm -hmm. That's not your object anymore. Your new object is trying to figure out what is it about yourself? Why do I do this and create these objects? Like you become your own object. Right. And you begin examining yourself. And so that's kind of the Hegelian turn. He influenced all of continental philosophy Marx, Kierkegaard, Nietzsche, Stirner, Engels, Feuerbach, mm. Feuerbach. I don't know how to pronounce his name. It'd be Bosch. Feuerbach. And then on into the 20th century with phenomenology, with Husserl and Heidegger, and structuralism with Ferdinand de Saussure. I, I actually don't think he influenced de Saussure. I think it was he influenced de Saussure's students. De Saussure was just a linguist. Yeah. And then in the Anglo-American speaking world, so America and Britain, Hegel's always been viewed with a kind of scorn because I, I think a lot of people never really understood him and tried to take him, try, try and take him on their own terms. Right. Which I don't think, I don't think is right. 
I think he's using different conceptions of like what things are. Oh, anyway, right. so, that, so that's Hegel. Hopefully our, our listeners learn something from that. Maybe the two big books that everybody reads are the phenomenology of spirit and the science of logic. Phenomenology of spirit is the journey that consciousness goes to as it comes to know itself through absolute knowledge, right? So it takes all of these shapes and he starts with this just idea of pure consciousness. What can we know? Well, things as they appear to us, which would be equivalent to direct realism, Mm. right? And then he goes through all of the different, what he sees as like the shapes of philosophy as the spirit comes to try and get positive knowledge. Science of Logic, which came out in 1812 through 1816, because it was published in three books, is his method, his explanation of his method for the phenomenology of spirit. Phenomenology of spirit is supposed to be the introduction to his system, because he is known as the last great systematic philosopher. Maybe there were more after him, but his systematic philosophy... Last notable. (laughs) Metaphysics and a system of ethics. Uh, Sorry. Uh, epistemology, Emini, metaphysics and epistemology. Mm. Uh, what is in the world and how can we come to know it, essentially, are the two questions there. The science of logic is the prerequisite to his encyclopedia of the philosophical sciences, which is a three-volume work that is... I'm, ne- I'm, I'm probably never going to read it, but... <laughs> <laughs> well. But he, 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 said, he claimed to have it all figured out. But, uh, and, and, you know, I'm sure he did. That's great. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, stick with the, the phenomenology of spirit, which is every philosophy student's worst nightmare. If you're in college and you're a philosophy student, you have to read that. And then, like, you'd read, like, Science of Logic in graduate school. Oh, yeah. Well, unfortunately, you know, well, not fortunately, but, you know, that's not my major. So. <laughs> I haven't gotten that deep. So Hegel's like a philosopher's philosopher. He's very, very difficult to understand. And and he's difficult to understand because the way that I'm explaining it to you, I'm using all of these examples, right? I'm like, oh, here's a box. And you don't know what's in the box, except maybe there's a turd in the box, but you couldn't figure that out. I could smell the goddamn box. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But yeah, we're so, so, so making all of these determinations, and Hegel doesn't. Hegel is only interested in the theory and the theoretical aspect. So he talks about... Sounds like some form of autism. (laughs) Could be. Um, But he talks about the concepts with a capital C or, you know, the notion with a capital N. And so his his writing comes off as, as very cryptic because he's not talking about anything with positive determinations. He's talking about thought as such not thought of something. Yeah, just thought as pure thought. <laughs> exactly. I guess let's start going through these. We have some letters from the readers, which aren't. I'm lying. They're just Reddit stuff that I took. But you, you, might, be, you might be a listener one day. Yeah. Someday, probably. Yeah, no. All right, I'll read this first one to you. AITA, am I the asshole for not showing my mom my grades? Oh, okay. Well. So ever since I was little, my mom has been on top of my grades like crazy. I get that it's a parent's job, but I literally get average or good grades all the time. As soon as I turned 18, I moved out to college on my own. I pay my own college and living expenses. My parents don't support me at all, and, they've, and they have the means to do so. I was fine with this since I just wanted to get out of the house. 
So my mom has recently been nagging me every day that I need to send every grade to her, and I just keep telling her no. My dad gets that my mom can be a little crazy, but he also wants me to send send them because my mom is so upset that I don't send them. So am I the asshole? It's not like they're bad grades, but I feel like I don't have the obligation to do so since I'm 100% independent. English is not my native language. Sorry. Your English sounded great to me. <laughs> what do you think, Matt? Do you think this person is an asshole? I don't think they're an asshole, like, per se. Like, being, like, straight up honest. Like, uh, you know, your mom, like, you're a grown-ass person, all right? Your mom doesn't need to, you know, worry that hard about it. And uh, specifically, like, when there is no support coming in, not that, you know, I feel like they should or shouldn't give you support one way or the other, but, like, uh, I guess, you know, the only way I'd perceive this person as an asshole is if specifically they're holding it up, you know, because they're like, well, it pisses my mom off and she won't support, you know, and she won't support me and that's why I'm doing it. Which, there was no indication of that, so I can't say they are at all. Like, it's just a, that's just a mama that's a little bit too uh, invested yeah, yeah. I mean, if they were paying for your college, it would be a different story. Sure, they, you know, like that's a condition that they could have and see that you're keeping your grades up or something like that. But as long as you're paying, um, yeah, that's my you, point. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, fuck her. You're not the asshole. She is <laughs> probably, probably a little nuts, though, you know. Well, just, yeah, a, a wee bit, maybe. But, you know, she just wants to know. Matt, will you read the, the next one to me? It should say number, it should have a two underneath it in the making. Oh, the anal sex question. Okay. <laughs> I've been a top for most of my life, but lately I've been really getting into bottoming. I've been trying to train myself to be a power bottom and take as much dick as I can. This is a beautiful question. I'm, you know, glad you recognized my uh, expertise. And uh, my wife just brought me spot. food, so I'm going to be eating as well. Oh, that's cool, man. You know. <laughs> All right. There's just one problem, though. I feel like when a dick goes in too deep, it bumps against something that kind of hurts, like a sharp discomfort. Not super painful, but not pleasant. Is that my prostate? And if so, shouldn't it feel good? It feels fine when they're fucking me softly, but when they start pummeling and bumping against that, it doesn't feel good. Anyone have any idea what I'm talking about? I do not. No, uh what you are talking about per se but from my experience with let's just say topping butt in this sense uh and and, and you know like uh i'm actually not homosexual oh, that's some bullshit in my experience with butt, 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 butt. uh when it starts to hurt, 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 hurt. you are going a little hard or deep and you know so i mean i would say just don't rush yourself you know i mean to me it just seems like you know you mess up when you're dealing with someone in your butt uh that could be come a serious medical problem you know you don't want ruptures and stuff in that neil poop shoot there so uh you know just I guess take it slow, you know, um, it's, 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 you know, you don't run a marathon, you know, your first day of, uh, 
you know, getting into running, you know, so you got to work up to running marathons. So for you, just take it easy, you know, and uh, let your, you know, ease your ass into it. Yeah. You want to be that power bottom? Well, don't, don't, uh, don't blow that thing out before you become that power bottom. Your boyfriend is hitting the uh, sphincter Mm. between the uh, end of Mm. your rectum and your colon. And that's why it hurts. My wife just gave me a look. She's like, hmm. <laughs> well. But, yeah, I mean, you know, don't force it if it hurts, I guess. Yeah, you know, like, like I said, just, just work it, you know, fucking take it slow. You'll be all right. <laughs> no rush. Okay. Uh, you want me to do number three while you're uh, munching there? Sure. Oh, this one's fun. <laughs> Am I the asshole for my reaction to my boyfriend's reaction to the illustrated book I made him? This might be fun. Hold on. So, <laughs> I made a gift for my boyfriend. It was a book where I made watercolor paintings of different places we've been and done together in a relationship. I figured it would be meaningful. My boyfriend told me, I don't like art, but I don't think your drawings are very good. <laughs> Way. I was hurt. I was, I was hurt. You're a I real, real Casanova here. Yeah, this guy is a legend. I was, in, I was hurt. And I told him it hurt my feelings that the book didn't mean anything to him. He told me I was being selfish and said that clearly my ego is more important than him. Wow. Since I, <laughs> I wanted him to lie, that I'm good at drawing. That's what he said. I told him I tried to do something meaningful. And he again said, I don't like art, so why would your drawings mean anything to me? He then said, I am selfish because all I care about is being told I'm good at drawing. Actually, I don't. Am I out of line for being heard that the book meant nothing to him? Or am I, like he says, a selfish ass? Well, I'm going to go ahead and say this right here. That uh, kind of flip that. This guy, right, as much as he wants to throw that at you that you're selfish i mean i think we can all see right this dude like missed the point and given how dense and also seemingly narcissistic he is just kick him to the curb he will not like he will blame you but who gives a shit like this is like wiping shit off your shoe you know you shouldn't feel bad about it you should just feel bad you stepped in the shit yeah so yeah this is like fucker loose. He sucks. That's that's a sweet thing for someone to do. <laughs> Be real here. <laughs> like you don't have to like art to get that. You know, it's a fucking touching. You know, tribute to your relationship. You, you fucking Riri. Yeah, you were trying to do something nice, and he just was an asshole. Yeah. So uh, yeah, kick him to the curb. All right, I'll do the next one. All right, man. She is not sure if she is interested in me. I've been going out on dates with a girl, and we also got kind of physical. Getting kind of physical. Right on, man. The thing is, after we had a great day, which included a kiss, she initiated some foreplay, walking around the city, holding hands and kissing, making plans for the week, both sexual and romantic, okay. and some provocative texting day five. Oh, yeah. In that order. Yeah, got to get that oh, provocative yeah. texting in there. She let me know that she has doubts about us because she's not sure if she is interested in me. She proposed we keep hanging out and see if anything will happen. Fact number one. 
I really like her and I'm actually interested. Fact number two. She messaged me to set up a date and discuss how we should proceed. Huh. What should I do? Should I make myself clear that I'm interested or should I not waste any time on this whatsoever? Is this by any chance any lame effort for validation? In the meantime, we keep texting and she reminded me today about the fun we had last time we met. What do you think, Matt? You've been going out on dates, right? You know, there's physicality. Like, to me, it would suggest that she should already know you like her. How is there a fucking question? Are you just unsure of yourself? Because at this point, if she doesn't get it, and more to the point, like, dude, if, if you don't get that you have displayed that to her, I feel like you should make a power move and not be too needy for this straight off the bat. Because how does she not know? So you play it a little cooler. Be like, yeah, I'm into you, but let her know that I'm not sold on you're not into this. You know, you need to make that clear. Because if you're just hanging around like a lost puppy, she's not going to give a shit. I don't know. If she isn't interested, she isn't interested. Yeah. This whole thing where she's like, let me know that she has doubts about us because she's not sure if she's interested in you. That's just playing games, man. Yeah, she's playing games. You're either into that, which Godspeed, sir, if you are. <laughs> Just be like, I'm sorry, I'm not I'm not interested. You're either interested in me or not. And if you're not, then have a great life. Take care. Yeah, with that kind of situation, just be straight up. This might be a game to her. Maybe she likes to play that power game, you know, like, oh, I'm you know, holding him at arm's length and making him chase me. Well, dude, you gotta value yourself. So I wouldn't play that game. Why don't you read to me the next one? About to have gay sex for the first time this weekend. I'm a virgin. Any advice? My first time, and I was wondering what I should know or do before going in. I've experienced with anything sexual besides porn, which is unrealistic, and I need advice. A lot of lube. First of all, lube. Have your man wrap it because no one wants to get... Well, I would say, like, is he your man or some dude? Well, still, though, if you don't know, wrap it up. It's not worth getting a disease from anyone. You know? Yeah, I mean, if you if, if it's your dad, then don't. Yeah, if it's your dad, you know he's fucking cool. <laughs> so, uh, from my experience, right, don't rush it. And I don't, for you, would say maybe before this happens. Oh, yeah. Trying to train your butt a little bit, you know, maybe. Uh, yeah, use the butt plug. But also, like, I think he means here when he says, I have experience with anything sexual besides porn. He doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have any experience yeah. with anything sexual besides porn. Oh, well, like, not you never even stuck your finger in your ass. Okay. So maybe. Well, he might have. I mean, that, that could just fall in fall under the general heading of masturbation. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I was kind of like. I don't know. I mean, maybe try blowjobs first or something or eat an ass or something. Yeah, or, you know, you can have him, like, finger your butt, you know, to, you know, kind of, it'll get you both, I guess, comfortable with the process. You've never been fucked in your ass, and, you know, he's... <laughs> I mean, maybe try making out first? I don't know. Yeah, but then, I mean, you know, if you're feeling bold, just let him go ahead and blow that shit out, bro. I mean, you know, more. I'm not here to tell you how to live, but I would advise taking it careful. You know, maybe some finger stuff first. I mean, I'm just saying, if it's his first time, you know, yeah. like doing anything sexual. Yeah. And maybe not go like a hundred, you know, maybe not well, go to like level 1,000. Unless you want to. Unless you want to. We're not your dads. Speak for yourself, Matt. <laughs> like, I am his dad and I am so proud of him. <laughs> Son, I'm so have... proud. <laughs> <laughs> That's my boy talking about getting getting it in his butt the first time. So proud. 
And as 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 you should be, your son is is uh, courageous and brave. God damn it for putting this out here and asking people for virgin advice about butt sex. That takes a certain amount of stones. <laughs> Does it put a boy off having sex if their boyfriend slash date has a very tight bottom? Obviously, I am a bottom, and I was just wondering <laughs> if it puts any guys off if they were about to have sex and found their boyfriend slash date slash girlfriend very tight, or does it not have an impact on them trying to enjoy the sex? Thanks for all the advice that I might get, smiley face, exclamation point. Okay, my dude, I see what you're doing here, all right? what You, you are fishing for dates on fucking, you know people want tight butts. You know that. All right. Don't play. Don't play. Well, all right. Dave doesn't. But most people want tight butthole. All right. Who wants to, to have that, yeah. like, all loose and shit, you know? Well, but yeah, but, you know, uh, yeah. No, you know what you know what you're doing here. And uh, you know what? Go off, queen. You have fun with that shit. Uh, I, think, I think you'll find <laughs> that, uh, that people enjoy it typically. Some people like having um, consensual gay relationships with their fathers, so I think you're fine with the tight butthole thing. Yeah, tight, tight butthole, good butthole. There you go. Why are women congratulated for announcing pregnancies? <laughs> oh, this, this is, this is going to be good. Some man busted into your wet hole. As a result, you are now pregnant. Does that really deserve a congratulations? Doesn't sound like a big accomplishment to me. Unless women celebrate it because they know it means 18 years of child support from dad. Oh, okay. <laughs> that they can use to fund their lifestyle. I see. I see. The kind of person this guy. Same thing with engagements and marriages. Oh, strap, strap in. I, I got a whole bunch of these. <laughs> Some man got down on one knee to beg your baby to completely own him for the rest of your life. Because... We're going to congratulate you for that? Why? Because you're cuck... Oh, God! This guy's never been laid. Because your cuck fiancé husband made a massive mistake and surrendered all of his freedom to you? Because now you have complete control over this man? And when you eventually divorce him, you'll be entitled to half his net worth for life? Is that what's worth celebrating? Well, holy shit. Like, I had a... As soon as I read... Sentence one, it's not wrong of me to generalize. Fuck you for being so fucking obvious about it. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, you've never had a meaningful relationship. That, that's uh, apparent, and uh, you blame a, a lot of other people for your fucking problems. I guarantee you. Yeah, you know, fucking, there's a discussion to had about the state of, you know, like, child support, blah, 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 whatever. You know, you want to have that discussion? Have that discussion. But this is just a big ball of misogyny. Which, you know, like, in the right context, you know, is, it can be funny. But, you know, this isn't funny. This is just, you hate broads, dude. I mean... Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't don't use misogyny when you when you're when see, you're, but uh, that somebody else misogyny. I think it's funny. At any rate, uh, but yeah, no, you um, you obviously hate women, and uh, like it, you know, not in a funny way. So, yeah. so here here's the question that I have: Where's your evidence? Like you make all of these. <laughs> yeah, this is like. Like going back to going back to what we were talking about before with Hegel and all of that, 
what you're doing is you're you're speculating about a thing in itself what women are like right <laughs> how the fuck do you know what women are like have you met every woman right. what evidence do you have to support your claims aside from like general ideas or assumptions oh i know i know a woman a woman fucking broke up with him and he thought he didn't deserve it for some reason so now all women are shit forever yeah that's logically sound yeah no yeah i see where he came from this guy's yeah no i mean like you know again like when i say like there's a funny you know like if if this was if you were making jokes or something or trying to you know it's one thing this is this is just like almost like holy fuck dude <laughs> who hurt you <laughs> at this point it doesn't even matter no at this point like fuck but damn dude you really hate women incels are right looks matter way more than personality <laughs> i've always struggled in the dating world and never knew why i always assumed it was because i was doing something wrong but looking back at all my fails it had nothing to do with my personality women would always tell me I see you more as a friend. I like you better as a friend. You're funny, but you're not my type. One woman told me, I'm not ready to date anybody yet. And then a week later, she posted a picture of herself and her new boyfriend on her Instagram. I'm not stinky or anything. I shower. I have good hygiene. I dress well. I'm in good shape. But as an ethnic man who's below average in height, nobody wants me. Oh, here we go. Life fucking sucks. I don't know how you approach people, right? But I'm looking at this and... Seems like you might approach people a lot. You might be coming off as thirsty, and that is not a good look at any point. Height? Well, yeah, it matters to some women. You're just saying height and looks matter to all women. No, it matters more to some than others. Even, even if every single date you went on ever resulted in that, you still wouldn't have justification to come to the conclusions you're coming to. Yeah, there's far too many women in the world to make those kind of things. I've met women that legitimately like short men. It does happen. Like, her boyfriend is, like, about a foot shorter than her, and she likes it. <laughs> you know, that's cool. You're tall. He likes it. He's sure you like it, you know? So that's frustration speaking, right? You say as an ethnic man, so I'm hoping that's not doesn't mean that you're Canadian or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, trust me, dude, there are plenty of women who like ethnic men. Oh, God, yeah. So, yes, it is your personality. Again, if you come off as needy, you come off as like something is owed to you almost, you know, not that you'd say that straight up. But if that's the feeling the girl is getting from you, you know, they're not going to bite that. Typically, that's not what sells, dude. So. Should I lose my virginity to a sex worker? You're 18, now turning 19. Still a virgin. My whole teenage years have been focused on trying to get a relationship from online dating to asking girls in my college out and all that lame shit. Never worked for me, and I don't need the just be confident shit because it doesn't do anything. Anyway, the reason I need moral advice is because I plan on buying a prostitute to lose my virginity, as they are really easy to get here. Is it a terrible idea? Should I just go for it? I see no reason why I shouldn't, as waiting hasn't gotten me anywhere so far. As well as just have sex with a prostitute, then focus on work and give up with the whole relationship shit. Anyways, feel free to roast me or any of that shit. Just give me advice. I feel like I should throw this out here, but 
I'm not an insult, and I have no negative feelings toward women just because I suck with them. I know I mentioned the whole thirst and desperation several times. You said you were focused your whole teenage years of trying to get into a relationship, and you listed several ways you tried to do that. Desperation does not sell, and your average woman is... You can do like a role-play kind of thing. Someone I could be into that. Well, true, yeah. But like... I would say if you're looking for just a normal kind of like, if you're looking to get a girlfriend, meaningful relationship, yada, 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 one, hold off on the whole sex talk. There's an approach to it, right? It's a dance. One, every, there is no like single, you know, one size fits all solution to getting laid uh, besides paying for it, which I mean, maybe you just, what if the prostitute just took his money and left? <laughs> oh, he'd be so mad. He would be so mad. Yeah, if you weren't an incel then, you would be now. After that shit. <laughs> you focus far too much on fucking. Like, fucking is cool, but, like, think about why you want to fuck to begin with. You're also, you're also young, dude. You're like, very young in, in the scheme of things, man. Don't go to a prostitute. It's dangerous. Yeah, a lot of people who say they get fucking laid in high school and shit lie, right? To fucking, you know, impress people. Like, that's just straight up true. Like, yeah, there are people that get laid there, but, like, you know, fucking, it's not, like, gonna make or break them. And, you know, it's not gonna be the last chance for a relationship or sex or, like, you know. Also, yeah, just, like, I don't know. This is, this is like, universal advice. Um, just jerk off more. Yeah, it, it really isn't bad, you know, like, it's fine, like, it is a, you know, biological imperative, you know, kind of to, you feel that you need to you know, spread your genes, what, well, fucking just go spread them in the fucking, you know, in a sock or something until you meet the right one. Worry about developing yourself and they it will happen. That's been my experience. Work on yourself, it'll happen. Serious. If it saves even one life, we are told to wear masks because of corona. The argument is that if it saves even one life, then you should wear it. But if having sex with an incel saves lives, he doesn't rope or go ER, then shouldn't women be told the same? Oh my god. <laughs> and then there's a picture of Pepe the frog with a sniper rifle. This, this fucking dude. Like, fuck me, man. Like, how the fuck are you so hard up for fucking boning that you fucking gonna kill myself? Like, fuck, dude. I mean, I don't mean to make fun, but like, shit, dude, it's sex. It, it's sex. Like, you'll get to a point in life where you're like, once you've started having sex, and again, don't make that the fucking objective. You'll get to a point where you're like, fuck, I don't even fucking want sex anymore. I mean, you, you obviously hate women, so why do you let them control you so much? <laughs> right? Like, women are not fucking, like, like, that's so fucking, like, yeah, just fuck me so I don't kill myself. Like, let's look into this, right? Like, God almighty, that is... I'm, try I'm trying to put my head hit myself in the headspace, not of this guy... But of, like, the woman who has to deal with this guy. Fuck to save a life. <laughs> yeah, so he goes on, like, a Tinder date or something like that. Or an OkCupid okay date. Yeah. And, and he's just like, you know, it, it might start off nice and then just progressively he keeps saying more and more, like, passive-aggressive things to her. 
And then at the end, he, you know, he get like gets drunk and starts demanding she have sex with him, or he's gonna kill himself. Dude, I'm gonna die if you don't fuck me. I want to examine this claim that if having sex with an incel saves lives, so he doesn't go, does so he doesn't rope, which is hang himself or go ER. I don't know what that means. I don't care. Hang himself or go to the ER. Oh, I, I think it's an acronym for something, but I don't, I don't know what it means. But I don't. Yeah, let's examine that claim. I mean, is that the case? Like, if you're a woman and you throw an incel pity fuck. Is that going to be what prevents him from killing himself? I think that's a dubious claim. I think that somebody who put that much energy into it, once he finally does get laid, he realizes that it's not all it was cracked up to be. That might even, like, increases his... He might kill, yeah, he might kill himself anyway because he's like, holy shit, that's what I was so fucked up over? Damn. Or it'll be, it'll be like, you know, the whole don't negotiate with terrorists kind of thing. You know, it's like, oh, if I threaten to kill myself, people will fuck me. So, you know, I don't <laughs> yeah. think that's a good fucking, <laughs> I don't think that's a good precedent to set either. Let's go on, and, you want just like that uh, episode of um, Black Mirror, just go go on dates with holding a, like a glass shard up to your neck. <laughs> and more to the point, right, at this point, like, there is no reason why they should. This is degrading themselves, reducing themselves to your fuck toy. Yeah, like, do, do you think that that's what sex is? <laughs> you just, you just like drooling over some woman who is doing it merely like as a transaction or something like that. Like, she doesn't want to be there. You know, she isn't attracted to you, but she's like, oh, just, fine. just let me get it in. <laughs> Please, just let me know. Like, no, dog, it's, it's not like that. <laughs> like, and again, like, uh, you're like, just let me, let me fuck someone so I don't kill myself. It's like, look at what you said. Let's just look at it. There, you know, there's something wrong with you, not them. Okay, so and, and he can't, <laughs> he can't. Like, that's the problem. No, it's yeah, he face. can't. No, but like, <laughs> the, the thing that is wrong is with you. I do, and uh, adjust that, and like you know, fucking watch how your life changes. But you won't. How in hell my friend get girls? I didn't read this. This should be a. <laughs> oh yeah, well, let's see. No, no proofreading. This should be good. Hi. There has been one thing that has left me wondering for some time. So I always had mindset that women always go for chats. I have a friend. For the sake of privacy, let's call him Bob. Bob is twenty-two years old, and is five four chubby geek and is not very wealthy still he has been in two very good relationships and now his third which also seems to be great this baffles me what is even more strange is that two-thirds of his girlfriends are way out of his league like his current girlfriend looks like margot robbie levels of beautiful sure they have a lot in common and they enjoy same geeky shit but still plus always when we are hanging out in a bar or restaurant or at movies etc when they talk to other people, girls are getting into him. They do that touching and twirling their hair, smiling widely and watching oh watching him at the same time, laughing even at stupid, unfunny jokes and stuff you see girls do around guys they're into. I just don't get it. He should be the kind of guy girls are not into. Short, chubby, geek, and not very wealthy. Don't get me wrong, though. He's a blast to hang out with. He's a cool, nice dude. Really bro kind of dude with his friends. 
Cracks good jokes from time to time. Smart, deep, and all-around great guy. I just don't see why many 8s, 9s, or 10s would want to be with him. What do you think? That is hilarious, man. Like, well, dude, like, to anyone, you know, anyone else, it's fairly obvious, right? Like, <laughs> your buddy has a huge cock. And we're got around. <laughs> okay, but no, but seriously, like, the girl, like, the guy, right? You said, he, oh, he's a great guy. He says that's the other thing. Dude, you basically answered it. Like, he's got... Eight to ten, eight, you know, eight, nine, ten. You're like, oh, he he gets all these eights, nines, and tens. Like he's got a personality that's probably but in that range, dog. <laughs> but keep holding it in your head. Girls only go for chads. That's you know that that that's clearly the the case. So <laughs> yeah, like again, you've seen evidence to the contrary, right? Your friend who pulls is not what you think would pull. Well, ask him or or. Look at him, not not like as an example. Like, well, fuck, what does he do that I don't? Don't be like, don't be like, oh, um, to your to your friend who's a cool guy. Cool don't don't guy. be like, uh, yeah. Don't be like, um, don't be like, hey, I was posting this in MGTOW. Um, <laughs> that would be fun. Where I go and I and I jerk off to anime girls or whatever the fuck they do there. Don't do that. But. Uh, I mean, you answered your own fucking question. This is a moot point as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> You're just too fucking stupid to see it. <laughs> it's like your buddy, dude, obviously, personality will sell you to someone if you have a good personality, right? Your buddy obviously has, like you said, an eight, he dates eight, nine, tens. Well, he's got that personality. You don't got to be in great shape. You don't got to. You just have to appeal to every woman is different. If you're just genuine and you put that out there, that confidence will show and confidence sells. Maybe don't rush into the bar with a gun in your mouth. If somebody doesn't fuck me, I'm going to blow my fucking brains out. Yeah, I'm like our last, our, our last little guy there. You know, uh, don't don't try that because, again, like, you'll you'll get the wrong one who will be like, I don't believe you. They'll be like, I'll fucking do it. They'll be like, fucking do it. This girl's hardcore. And then she'll just be like, yeah, fucking do it. <laughs> so uh, you never know how that's going to go. Be careful with that one. Rage fuel. <laughs> I, find it, I find it disgusting. Disgusting that if I ever got a girlfriend, she would have permission from society to talk to countless men on her phone without me knowing. Let's think about this. If you ever get a girlfriend, she's obviously going to have a Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, WhatsApp, etc. The amount of activity she gets on those in one day is more than any of us have gotten in our lives. All those men are offering her sex directly or indirectly, and she's flirting back and engaging them, <laughs> getting emotional pleasure out of this. If you date her, it's her right to talk to all these men, and it's none of your business, Mr. <laughs> This is an absolute disgrace. This is what many people would call emotional cheating. But guess what that leads to? Physical cheating. There is absolutely no reason she should get to talk to other men at all. The only men she should be allowed to talk to are her family members. When she talks to other men, all this leads to is her seeing me as some cuck. Well, sure, I might be seen as a control freak if I took her phone away, but I'd rather be a control freak and pass on my genes than have my girl cheat with some uh, really bad word. I'm not saying that one. Um, and have my son look like Scooby-Doo. Fuck. 
Wow, I did I didn't see I didn't read that full thing. There's a there's a racial slur in that. Everything about you sucks. I don't want to help you. Pretty sure you have a micro dick. Let I mean we could roast it, but like shit, dude, you did a pretty good job. You seem like a real fucking asshole. <laughs> like, and not even just yeah, from just like look like even as a dude, like Fuck, man, like, oh, I'm... The women are not the problem. You are the problem. You had one chick that was looking outside your relationship for fucking other men? Gee, fucking wonder why, dude. Men never do that. We're, we're basically angels. We're saints. We never we never cheat. This is just kind of like a personal fucking like thing. It's like, hey, I'm not going to hold someone to a fucking standard that I myself am not willing to uphold. And the standard you hold her to or your perspective, uh, lady, who I would never uphold that myself. So why the... We don't know if she's getting blown up for what he's, you know, he's, he's speculating. But, like, if, if it was the opposite, if he was getting, like, busty broads fucking blowing up his phone to suck his dick, and he would say no, I mean, does this seem like the kind of guy who would be faithful to his children? Oh, God, no. This is the kind of guy that would, like, like again, and I've seen... You know, like, this happens. You know, this is the kind of guy who would jump on everyone and then be like, why, I'm, you know, why are you mad at me? <laughs> like, legit, like, I don't get it. Why are you mad at me? <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of guy who commits a mass shooting. <laughs> let's, be, let's be real. That too, yeah. Well, you know, it just depends, I guess. You know, it's kind of like one of those choose-your-own-story books. It's like, if the guy fucks, he'll be just a, a philanderer, you know? And if he doesn't, well, he probably will commit a mass If he fucks, he wouldn't be posting on the, these... True. So we know what's... We're, we got our eyes on you, fuckwad. <laughs> we see and know all. All right. Is there anything else here? I don't know. That one is fun. Yeah. <laughs> what a fucking asshole. <laughs> oh, yeah. These are great. Oh, my God. I wish you didn't think the things that you do in cells <laughs> and, the, and the things that you do actually do, like, your, you know, your physical actions in the world are terrible and you should feel bad about them and you shouldn't do them. But you're really fucking funny. Oh, my God. You are funny. Before you go making all these claims, make sure you're fucking doing like you did your due diligence like if you're not fucking adonis dude <laughs> if you're not a goddamn like saintly adonis go fuck yourself <laughs> you know what i mean? i'd say he should do his due diligence i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want i wouldn't want to unleash these people upon upon men some gay dude said i don't want to fucking you know see that happen too so fuck that dude <laughs> nah just just you know what you know what to do though and I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll say it, but I'm not gonna. You know what to do. Get it, champ. <laughs> Change everything about yourself is what Matt is talking about. You know what, Dave? Should have you as my fucking yeah, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. You're my translator, Dave. <laughs> we only endorse wholesome behavior here at uh, Megan and Old. This, this is a Christian fucking podcast. We we are a devout evangelical christian podcast god damn it now let us pray <laughs> oh lord please fucking give us more of these good ass insults <laughs> to laugh at it is pretty fucking golden stay lit all right <laughs> uh, so uh yeah let's call it for the for the evening
Um, I didn't like how it, what the fuck is wrong with me? Jesus Christ. 